I have the privilege this morning of uh, kind of jumping back into our Vision and Values uh, series, and I'll be speaking on the Holy Spirit. Uh, just as a recap, I think we have a list of our, our Vision and Values here at River's Edge. Prayer and worship, gospel-centered, we're a participatory body, empowered for the global mission of God, faithful to Scripture, a genuine expression of the family of God, and today... I'm going to share on what it looks like to be a spirit-filled church. What does it look like to be the empowered church that we see in Scripture, that we see in the book of Acts, we see throughout uh, Paul and Luke's writings. So I'm going to jump into Acts chapter 1 if you want to follow along. It should be up on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. We read the Word of God together. So Luke's words in his second book, the book of Acts, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave more convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, open up your word this morning and, and read these words that Luke penned uh, two millennia ago about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who instructed us to be expectant, to be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning as we gather, Lord, I pray you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word, to receive your gentle prompting, Lord, but also that we would Open up our hands and our hearts in a stance of receiving this morning for what you have to give to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke starts out in this book of Acts, his second book, talking about in my former book, and that's the book that Matt read from this morning, Luke chapter 3. And uh, that's a lot about what Jesus' ministry was, was about in the Spirit. He's baptized in the Spirit, it says. The Spirit came down on him during his baptism like a dove. God spoke one of three times in the New Testament. The heavens open up, and he says, this is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased with. Um, we're supposed to listen to this. We're supposed to be instructed by this. In the very next chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry in the power of the Spirit. He's been, he's been filled with the Spirit, and he's immediately tempted, taken out into the desert, where for 40 days he's tempted. And he succeeds in overcoming because he's filled with the Spirit, because he's filled with his Father's promise, because he understands what his purpose is. And then immediately he goes to his hometown, and it says in uh, Luke chapter 4, he goes into his hometown, he goes into the synagogue, he takes out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from it. And the part that he read from was from Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to preach good news, to, to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up those, to release the, uh, to give freedom to the captives. In the power of the Spirit, Jesus' ministry, he understood, was in the power of the Holy Spirit. Throughout Luke's Gospel, it says, Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, healed. He did these things. And then we get to this first book, the second book of Luke, Luke, the first chapter of the book of Acts, and Luke is saying, this is what Jesus is giving to us before he goes up and in his ascension. Spends 40 days with this small group of disciples that has gathered together, and they're waiting for what's going to happen. And he says, wait for just a few more days until the promised Spirit that my Father is going to send. Ten days from 40 would be 50, right? That's Pentecost. That's why we call it Pentecost. It's 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And that's when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. That's when the Holy Spirit was given to people. That's when the church was birthed. That's when it began. The purposes of God were beginning to unfold beyond Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus' ministry was continuing. He was continuing it through His Holy Spirit. But now He's not going to continue it through Himself personally. He's going to continue it through you and through me. We're, We're God's plan. We're the plan for bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we have on the back wall there in Spokane as it is in heaven. Because we see one of our calling, one of our purposes, one of our visions and values at River's Edge is that we are God's plan to bring His kingdom here on earth. That's the context that Luke is writing from and Luke is speaking from. Jesus' ministry in the power of the Spirit. And from the following chapters in the book of Acts, that's exactly what we see how the church, empowered by the Spirit, begins to do the things that Jesus showed them He wanted us and them to do. Because the church, we are an empowered people. And we are part of that now. We're part of the ministry that Jesus had. And this talk this morning that we're going through this book of Acts in chapter 1 is all about what does it look like to be a Spirit-filled church? What does it look like to be an empowered people of God? Not in the first century, in the 21st century, in Spokane, Washington, in the places God has placed you and me today. Wherever we're going to walk into this afternoon in our neighborhoods, in our, in our workplaces tomorrow, we are called to be an empowered people to see the purposes of God come through. And there are a few things that came out of this chapter as I was preparing for to, to share this morning. And I want to share four things with you. Four simple things that I think Luke has for us and that the Holy Spirit wants to illumine to us as what does it mean to be a Spirit-filled church? What does it mean to be an empowered people of God? And the first is that God, a Spirit-filled church is filled with ordinary people. Simple, ordinary people. Not everybody's going to be a Paul. And that's okay. 
Because God's going to use every single person that he calls to his purposes for his kingdom to come. Throughout Scripture, we see ordinary people being called to do extraordinary things. Who was it that Jesus called for his first disciples? It wasn't the rulers of the church in the first century. It wasn't the people that had a whole ton of authority or had a lot of influence. It was some simple fishermen. Peter, James, John. He said, drop your nets and follow me. That must have been quite a moment. Everything that they held onto in their lives, everything that they saw as what gave them the ability to live, they were willing to put down to follow this man named Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. He's simply calling us to follow him. Ordinary people. Ordinary people in Spokane, Washington. Mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, children, grandfathers. I'm a grandfather, I I can proudly say. He's just calling us to be his people where we are. It's not something special because he's going to do the work through us by his Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of being a spirit-filled people. That God's presence is within us. It was his plan from the beginning that he would call and create a spirit-filled people. Not a people that were great at talking or great at doing, but simply a people that were great at being and receiving the Holy Spirit so that he could do that which he wanted to do through us. And that's what he does. It's what he's doing here this morning. It's what he's going to do tomorrow and next week and the next and the next. And wherever you find yourself, he's going to use that. And we need to remember this. We need to remember the fact that we, that as ordinary people, we are empowered by God to go out to do extraordinary things. I, when I was growing up, I was, I was a pretty introverted kid. I really liked to read. Spent a lot of time by myself reading. And I would read Lord of the Rings, and I would read Hardy Boys Adventure Series, and you know, you could plug in whatever it was that you liked to read. But I never saw myself standing up in a church one day sharing the Word of God. I just saw myself as an ordinary person. An ordinary person who liked people, liked to be with people, liked to be a nice person, and liked to be filled with the Spirit to do the things that God wanted me to do. I met Jesus in 1976 at a Young Life camp. And from that moment forward, I was filled with the Spirit. And I began to see that the the purposes that God had for my life were different than what I thought they might be. Maybe that's the same for you. God is using you where you are, and He wants to use you where you are as an ordinary person to do extraordinary things. Now, I don't say you're an ordinary person because you're not of worth or you're just, you know, a plain common Joe or Jane or whatever. I'm saying is nothing special about who God calls. It's because we serve a God who calls. It's the God. It's God filling us and calling us that is the important part. The Spirit-filled church is a church of ordinary, empowered people. Throughout the book of Acts, there's a list of maybe over a hundred people that Paul names. 
And one of them that comes to mind is a, is a slave by the name of Onesimus. You've probably read about him. He wrote to Philemon in the book Philemon about Onesimus. He was just a slave, first century. He was an ordinary person. Actually, in that century, he was below an ordinary person. He was, he, he was stuck. And yet God saw something in Onesimus. And Paul saw something in him. And things began to get nurtured to the point where about 20, 30 years later, he is now the bishop of Ephesus. God's using ordinary people in the first century to do extraordinary things. The church is exploding. It's written all over Scripture. Remember when Samuel goes to call the next king, the book of Samuel. They have a king. His name is Saul. He was filled with the Spirit, it says. He did great and mighty things. But he's not the king that God wanted because his heart was turned towards other things. And, and so he goes to this house uh, or this farm, I guess, if you want to call it, and he starts talking to the sons, or he starts looking at the sons of Jesse. And he looks at the first one, and, and I can imagine he's thinking, oh man, this, this has got to be the one. He's tall, he's strong, look at what he can do. And God says, no. And the third, second one, and the third one, and the fourth one, and the fifth one, and the sixth one, to the point where Samuel says, don't you have any more sons? What does he say? Well, yeah, I, I got this runt of a kid named David. He's out with the sheep because he really can't do anything else. Well, call him in. And as soon as David comes into Samuel's presence, the Holy Spirit tells him, this is the, my anointed one. This is the one who I'm through, through whom I'm going to build my kingdom. Was he perfect? No. But he was filled with the presence of God in a way that few have been in the Old Testament. Simply because he was willing to stand before Samuel, be anointed as the future king, and go through some pretty tough times until he was sitting in that place. God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And as a church, we are a spirit-filled church of ordinary people. That's who we are. The second thing we are is we're a kingdom-minded people. In other words, we're not thinking about ourselves. We're not even thinking about our church. We're thinking about God's kingdom. We're thinking about God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. The words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray when he prayed to the Father. We're thinking about what does it look like to see God's kingdom come. It's not a, it's not a surprise to me that Jesus chose the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and read from Isaiah 61 in the first public speaking that he had in a synagogue. Because that's what God's kingdom is about. It's about filling people. It's about releasing people. It's about equipping people. It's about seeing people released into their gifts so that they can do the things that God wants them to do so that his kingdom can come here on earth, here in Spokane, in our schools, in our stores, in the places that we work, in the interactions that we have on a daily basis, how we act in our family as a father and a mother 
how we act as a son or a daughter, all of those things. That's what it means to see God's kingdom come. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to us here at River's Edge that we over and over and over talk about the fact that we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see God's kingdom come. It's only going to come if you and I recognize the fact that we have to be a person, a people, empowered by the Holy Spirit to see that done. The Spirit-filled church is just that. It's a kingdom-minded people. It's about changing lives and changing communities and changing cultures. There's a lot of different uh, historical quotations about the church in the first, second, third, fourth centuries. There is a quotation by, by a Roman emperor by the name of Julian the Apostate. He was one of the few Roman emperors that turned his back on God after, after um, Constantine initiated Christianity as the kind of the Roman um, religion. And there, there actually exists a quotation from Julian as he's speaking to the Senate. Actually, he's not speaking to the Senate. I can imagine he's screaming at the Senate. He's saying, you've got to be kidding me. These dumb Christians, he called them, he called them the Galileans. Because that's where Jesus was from, Galilee, right? These Galileans are showing us up. <laughs> They're doing the very thing that we should be doing. They're taking care of their poor. They're taking care of the people that are hungry. Our people, our Roman people, the people who don't believe in their God, are hungry. And we're not taking care of them. They're taking care of them for us. The Christian church in the 4th century under the reign of Julian the Apostate was changing the culture of the kingdom in the very place that was the center of the authority on earth at that time. How are they doing it? They're simply doing what Jesus told them to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God, but love your neighbor as yourself. If your neighbor's hungry, give him something to eat. And they just took Jesus at his word. And they started doing it. And it began to change the culture. Was it hard? Yeah, it probably was. <laughs> A lot of people died. But they saw God's kingdom advancing. They saw God's kingdom coming in great measure. They were changing the culture. You know, we live in a culture today that could use some change. It could use some change. It could use some truth. And it's only going to happen if we're willing to follow the words of Jesus and speak the truth in love, and do the things that he's called us to do. Because as the Spirit-filled church, we have to be a kingdom-minded people. The third thing that we are as a Spirit-filled church is that we know we are a people of purpose. That we have a purpose. Now, there's the, the word purpose has been thrown around a lot over the last 20, 30 years. The purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church, the purpose, 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 this. 
I always wanted to read, uh, to write a book called The Porpoise Driven Life, which would be like, because we went to Sea World with my niece last week, and I thought, that'd be kind of fun, you know, like a children's book, kind of a play on words. <laughs> but we, we, ha- we exist for a purpose. We're here for a reason. So we're not an accident. We're not just, you know, we didn't just show up. We're meant to, to be exactly what God wants us to be. We're meant to do what Jesus asked us to do. Some of the final words that he said at the end of Matthew, called the Great Commission. What did he say to do? He said, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, I'm going to be with you always. So we're meant to be on the move. We're not meant to be static. We're not meant to be stagnant. We're meant to be dynamic. We're meant to be flowing. We're meant to go. Now, going doesn't mean you got to go to Dubai or you got to go to the Philippines or you got to go to the central heart of Africa. It just means you have to be willing to listen and go where he asks you to go. Sometimes it's as simple as opening up a conversation in the grocery store line when you're checking out. And the person invariably says, because they've been taught with good customer service, how, how are you doing? How, how are you going to respond? See, that's an opportunity to go with your words, to project the kingdom, to share, to let them know there's something more to life. Maybe they already know it, and praise the Lord if they do, but if they don't, it's an invitation to what it looks like to be a kingdom person to what it looks like to be a spirit-filled people. And they're invited into that story. They're invited into that conversation. They're invited into that family. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Does it mean some will go? Yes, it does. And part of the reason that we're going to Dubai next week is because we're going to be talking about gospel advance into unreached people groups. And one of the things I'm so pleased about here at River's Edge is that we take that seriously. A significant portion of the money that's given to River's Edge goes out into advancing the gospel in the nations. And we have helped this small community known as River's Edge has helped to plant churches into tribal groups on islands in the Philippines. And you've seen videos of it in the last couple of months. This is real, real time ministry happening because simply put we are answering the call that god has placed on our life to be a spirit-filled people to be a kingdom-minded kingdom-oriented people and that's why we see our existence it's not to be a holy huddle it's not to be a cloister group it's not to withdraw into rooms and walls it's to be out there Because that's where people will see what it looks like to be a part of God's family. Gospel advance. And we welcome all into that. And the fourth thing that came out of this, and that is simply that we are a people of promise. God's word is filled with promise. 
the promises of God are throughout the Old and New Testament, and not one of God's promises falls to the ground. I am often reminded of how leaders, especially in the Old Testament, faced situations and became fearful and became anxious and found themselves feeling like they were under-prepared or under-equipped to do that which God was calling them to do. A classic is Joshua. So Joshua was Moses' understudy. And he was helping lead the armies, and he was helping lead the people, but Moses was the leader. And it was coming toward the end of Moses' life, and he knew it, and Joshua knew it, and God knew it, and when Moses died, God spoke to Joshua, and he said, I want you to lead my people. My servant Moses has died, now I want you to lead my people. Now I imagine that was a daunting task. For a couple reasons. At that point, there was several million, the, the, the people at that point were several million strong. So, you know, they had wandered in the desert for close to 40 years. Well, they didn't stop having babies, right? And most of them didn't die during that 40-year period. They just continued to multiply. So they could have been four or five million people strong, and all of a sudden, Joshua is being asked by God to lead his people. And not only was he being asked by God, but he was being asked by God to fulfill the promises God had made to the people of going into the promised land. Do you remember when Moses sent out the, the spies to kind of spy out the land and see what's going on? And most of them came back and said, oh, we can't do it. There's some big dudes over there. Paraphrasing there, of course. There's giants in that land, right? And they're tough and they're strong and they got fortified cities that are, you know, we can't even see the top of. There's no way we can do that. They came back with their tail between their legs, except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb came back and because God had filled them with his promises, they said, it might be tough, but we can do it. We can do it. And the rest is history. <laughs> they did it. And for the next 40 years, they continued to do it, and they took the land, just as God had said. Because why? God was with them, and God continued to be with them. And he continued to fulfill his promises to Joshua. I love the passage uh, at the end of Joshua. I think it's in Joshua, maybe Joshua 24, where he's dividing the land to all the tribes. And uh, he gets to Caleb, you know, his partner in crime for the last 40 years. Well, where do you want? He goes, well, give me, give me the hill country. I think there's still some giants up there to conquer. He's about 80 years old when he said that. That's pretty cool. I want to be like that. Now, I'm closer to 80 than most of you are. There's a couple of you that might, you know, outpace me, be right there ahead of me. 
but, but I want to be there. I want to, I want to be able to respond in that way. Why? Because I want the purposes of God and the promises of God to be welling up from within me. So that when God says go, I don't say, well, how am I going to do that? I say, okay, I'm going to go. That's what he's calling us to do as the people of God. If we're going to be the spirit-filled people of God, if we're going to live as an empowered people, we simply have to realize that God is going to fulfill his promises through us, each one of us. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your station is, where you work, whether you're male or female, young or old, God is going to fulfill his purposes through you. And the only thing we have to do is say, here am I. Send me. Use me. Do your best work through me. Doesn't mean we have to do it. We don't even have to have the plan. We just have to be willing to be the vessel that he is going to do and bring his purposes through us. And if we live as a people of promise, then we can stand against fear. And we can stand against anxiety. And we can stand against culture who wants to say, no, there's nothing to the values of Christianity. That's archaic. That's old. We can stand to that because we know what the promises of God are. What the promises for us are as God's people. You know, if we, if we here at River's Edge can simply realize that God wants to use this place to be a catalyst for change in the culture, in our neighborhood, in our families, in our community, in our city, that we can be a place of peace and the world will want to be a part of it. The guy standing on the front of McDonald's will want to be a part of it. The women who are struggling to raise their children without fathers will want to be a part of it. And we reach out to some of those young mothers through ministries here at River's Edge. But everybody will want to be a part of it. Because they will see God wanting to do things through them that only He can do. That's what the world needs. That's what our neighbors need. That's what our community needs. That's what our nation needs. And God wants to use you, an ordinary person with a kingdom mindset that realizes you have a purpose and that you want to see God fulfill his promises through you today, tomorrow, and each day forward. That's what it means to live as a spirit-filled people. That's what it means to live as a spirit-empowered people. And that's what we're calling, and God is calling, all of us to do here at River's Edge. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for these words from Luke that just lay out in short fashion what you have for us. What you have for us for the days ahead, for the months ahead, for the years ahead, as we see the next generation, the next generation raised up around us Lord, we can, see, we can hear them upstairs. They're full of life and they're full of power and they're full of energy. And Lord, I, I just want to say, harness that. Use us as parents and grandparents. Use us to speak into their lives so that they, at an early age, understand what it means to live an empowered life, a spirit-filled life.
a life of purpose, a life of passion, and a life of promise. That's what we want, Lord. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen.